Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. How do you make a vacation last? How do you hold on to the joy, the clarity, the calm? Easy. You go to Aruba. You'll spend your time relaxing on cool, white, sandy beaches and floating in healing blue water. You'll meet locals brimming with gratitude for an island that redefines what a paradise can be. You won't just feel great. You'll feel relaxed, renewed, and ready for life. That's the Aruba Effect. Plan your trip at aruba.com. Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. This podcast is brought to you by Boyle Sports. Place five five pound Ackers and get a six one free with Acker loyalty on the Boyle Sports betting app. Boil Sports. This is betting. Terms and conditions apply. Offer applies to mobile bets only. 18 plus bet responsibly. Be gamblerware.co.uk. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to Talking One for the Team. I'm your host, Tom Kane, and in this podcast, I'll be talking to individuals from the sports and fitness industry and beyond. We'll talk to the experts in their field and aim to provide a 360 degree insight into their journey in the industry, find out what sports and fitness means to them and the impact it can have on mental health. In this episode, I talk to Harry Robinson, one of the best footballers I've ever played with. Harry left the UK at 18 to chase his dream of becoming a professional footballer over in the US. We talk in depth about how injuries disrupted his ambitions and how Harry is still involved in a coaching capacity in the sport he so dearly loves. Here is Talking One for the Team with Harry Robinson. Hi Harry mate, how are you getting on? Yeah, not too bad pal, yourself? Yeah, I'm alright. It's, uh, it's been a while since... Um, since me and you actually caught up, uh, I was just trying to think. It must have been, what, 2014, 2015 sort of time? Yeah, I mean, it was probably those like, those back end of your upper sixth days, way, way yeah. back. Maybe maybe a Vaughan tournament from, uh, yeah. at the other side of that, but nothing nothing too heavy. It's been a while. Yeah, I think both the hairlines are probably a couple inches further forward. <laughs> that um, blame the stress, mate. I'm wearing the Fulham top. I blame them solely for it. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure we're going to come on to kind of talk to uh, talk to them. I think I'm going to get a bit of a reputation for just speaking to Fulham fans. It's an elite club. I'd stay away from anyone else in London. Get a bad yeah. reputation from those Super League fans. Stay with her. Yeah, don't, I think we'll have a little conversation about Super League and, and kind of your thoughts on it. But just before we kind of start, I'll give a little introduction into who you are, Harry Robinson. So today I'm talking to Harry Robinson. 
one of, if not the best footballer I played with in my very humble football career. I actually had the pleasure of playing with Harry on international tours with our school football teams to Holland and to Spain. But the less said about some of the behaviour on those tours, I guess, probably the better. Harry was someone who always struck me as someone who lived and breathed football. Despite being a few years younger than me at school, he was probably the first name on the team sheet. And not just because of his ability to score from long throw-ins as a centre-back. But that's not saying he wouldn't have been Rory Delap's dream teammate. I always thought he was going to kind of stay in the game in some sort of manner. Uh, and I wasn't wrong. So Harry is now working as an assistant coach for the University of Rio Grande out in America. But that doesn't do his story the justice it deserves. So today we're kind of going to go into and discuss some of that story, touching on some of the struggles he faced as an 18-year-old boy moving to the other side of the Atlantic to chase his dreams of becoming a professional footballer. So before we get stuck into things, in keeping with the name of the show, Talking One for the Team, I've got a question uh, and I'll be asking each guest who makes an appearance. Uh, and that is, which team has inspired you most from any sport and any era and why? I mean, if people have listened to the previous episode, my original answer would have probably been stolen that Fulham Europa League team just a couple of years. I think people forget the turnaround. So two years prior was our great escape. So obviously, Wilson comes in just after Christmas. I mean, I remember being in a pub watching the Fulham results come in and Fulham were relegated against Man City away and then suddenly out of nowhere scored three goals. And I think it was Merson going mental in the 90th minute. Nancy Kamara runs through on goal. Levers it top corner and suddenly Fulham are not safe, but staying up and live to fight another day. So the turnaround that season was just mad. I think we won four of our last five games or something. Mm. And then it was that core of players that then ended up coming seventh the next year and then making that Europa League run. So, I mean, for me, that was just that was just sort of the, the craziest run I've seen from Fulham. Obviously, we don't get too much success in, in those parts, but... As that, as that evolved and as those those group of players sort of went on that journey together, just it's crazy. It was right at a good age for me as well, like because obviously I'm old enough to remember it yeah. and you sort of, I, I was involved with it. I wasn't going to away games as much as I would have liked. It's like my brother really got the full force of it. But that team's just, I mean, to go from a great escape to seventh in the Prem to a Europa League final in, in just that span of time without really investing too much money. Mm. Uh, I think it was just, yeah, it was a magical run and, you know, I'd say the great escape team, but obviously that great escape team then leads on to the Europa League team. And it was yeah, it was a good time to be a Fulham fan. Got myself out of a few days of school to go over to Hamburg a couple of times. So Very yeah, nice. I'm not going to see it again in my lifetime, but had to enjoy it while it lasted. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, had, I had an inkling that you might say that. They're going to have to start <laughs> mixing some of these Fulham fans up on the show. I'm thinking <laughs> yeah. back. Um, you talk about Diamante Camera with his... Uh, was he got two goals, didn't he, at Man City in that comeback, I think? Or did he get the one? <laughs> No, he got two goals. Yeah, he would have scored the first goal. He yeah. had a bit of an iconic uh, celebration, didn't he? The old uh, yeah, and he gave hand by the uh, <laughs> Yeah, not sure he was the greatest football player, but as a striker's remembered for his goals at the end of the day, and he scored two two very important ones at that point. So uh, yeah. he can dine up there forever. So I've got to ask, I mean, the big news in football in the last week or so, as a Fulham fan, you're outside of the, I guess what they call the big six. I, for one, just for my kind of opinion as an Arsenal fan, I was pissed off, dismayed, um, putting it lightly, about the plans to kind of break off in this European Super League. I was kind of trying to explain it to the missus like, last weekend. She's got not, not much interest in football at all, but I was trying to like tell her how important it would be, right, uh, and how much of a big issue this was in football. And to say that I'm happy that it hasn't happened is a real understatement. I said to the missus, I said to friends, I'd probably 
stop supporting Arsenal if that had gone through. I think it would have been like that much of a disregard for fans who kind of pay their money to go and watch games and invest so much time and effort into the clubs, right? I was ready to call it to call it quits on Arsenal. I say that without obviously it coming to fruition. I'm sure if it was on, I probably would have watched it, being honest. But And I know other friends of, of mine who support clubs in the big six we're also in the same sort of vein, but I'm interested to kind of hear, one, your thoughts as someone who supports one of the other 14 clubs in the Premier League at the moment. And two, from a point of view from uh, America, right? You've been out in America, what, seven years now? They have a very different view on professional sport and how it works. And so I'd like to get your kind of thoughts on that. Well, I mean, firstly, if you're looking at the European Super League, I mean, we just discussed sort of Fulham making a Europa League run and you'd automatically lose the ability for that to happen. And it's mm-hmm. the dream of the smaller clubs in the Premier League to put together a couple of good years, maybe a good cup run that get you into Europe. And next thing you know, you make it out of a group stage and you've got a couple of European away days and removing that from little the littler teams. I mean, we don't have much. We're not really competing for titles. You're trying to hope for a cup run somewhere. And, you know, I think my old man's best part of like 60 at this point now and he's seen that one European run from Fulham and you take something away from fans that's just so special and on a sort of you look at like Leicester's and West Ham's who are doing it in this present day you mm. can't you can't take out the the achievement or the reward for for playing well I think it was either Neville or Carragher said it about sort of referencing the America thing it's the first step towards franchising teams yeah because if you start having clubs that have that much money and are immovable effectively it doesn't matter how you perform mm. you just straight into this that gives you x amount of money and I mean, if you're looking at American sports, they're good and they're competitive. But as a Fulham fan, if we were in a franchise in the Premier League, I'd have lost interest after five games. And we we four or five of our first you know, few games and that would have been season over for us. And then I would have just packed it in for a draft pick next year in the yeah. hope that that would, uh, you know, that would turn it around. Whereas now we're coming up to the end of the season. I know it's probably a little bit too late, for but we're still fighting and you're still, you have an interest and it keeps the whole league competing you know I've got a friend who's a Villa fan and a Leeds fan and they're seeing if they can try and sneak into a, a European spot late this late in the season so just mm. the way the English league's set up it's you know it might not be completely fair obviously some teams do have more and have better access to things and whatnot but it allows you to compete and it allows the whole the whole season to remain fairly relevant because you're always striving to achieve something and I know there's a few teams like Fulham did it for a few years that sort of mid-table mediocrity where you're just hanging around and kind of existing. But mm. that's a rare few teams. Everyone else at this point is kind of competing for something. And I think that's what makes football so great. You get those moments on the few weeks of the season. You always see it on Sky Sports. They have those, you know, the marathon games. And as far as like everything means something and it all means so much. And that's what makes football, football, we all sort of tune in. So I think you know, it's good that the European Super League isn't going ahead. I think UEFA have kind of slide in their new Champions League format which yeah. I'm not sure is that beneficial. But it's just it's a constant battle in football. You're fighting the people who have money and want more money and they're just trying to drive revenue. And I'm sure they'll use COVID as a, a sort of a something to hide behind saying, oh, we need we need the money. But mm-hmm. football's all right. It's just let yeah. just let it let it carry on, you know, carry on with the financial restrictions. You know, hopefully that 50 plus one they're talking about bringing it in in England, that yeah. might be something that benefits because... Football fans are passionate. I still think that the, the Premier League would have been fine without the big six because the fans of the other 14 clubs weren't going to go anywhere. I wouldn't stop being a Fulham fan because the big six aren't there. I'd be buzzing some more football matches. 
yeah, overall, I mean, it was, a, it was a strange 48 hours. I think it just about sums up the last sort of year and a half in the world of how it went down. But yeah, happy, happy it's not going ahead after after all the sort of the uproar, so to speak. Yeah, I mean, you, you touched on uh, kind of the new Champions League format and I think that is a little bit of a lesser of two evils. I'm not best pleased about it. Although, I mean, look, Arsenal at the moment, the position they're in, Another tough watch last night for us. Probably naively, I'm still Arteta in. <laughs> I'm just giving him a bit of time because I just I don't want to become a club which just turns over managers left, right and centre, right? I know he's not done well in the league this year. But the balance, I don't know if it's, if it's him or if it's the players or it's the lack of investment. You saw the thousands of fans at the Emirates last night. Uh, I think we're quite sick of the Cronkies. I know that obviously, yeah, the other top six owners... Probably Chelsea and Man City don't really have too... I can't imagine them having too many gripes with their ownership. That's, that's how they kind of kind of got their yeah. place in the big six at the moment. But the American owners and that kind of ownership model, I guess, the Glazers, FSG and Kroenke, I was interested to know on the other side of the Atlantic, did that European Super League get a lot of traction in mainstream media or sports media over there? Because... I went over to America to visit our friend Con back in 2019. It's the last time I was away outside of the UK before all of the pandemic. And when I came back, when I was speaking about the trip and stuff, one thing that struck me is the amount of sport, which is just always on. It's like, we think we have it a lot in the UK with um, with the Premier League and, and professional sport over here, but it was just nonstop. You go in every bar and it's just 20, 30 screens of college football, college basketball, MLS, it, all sorts of sports. NBA. And yeah, I wanted to kind of to understand if there was a lot of traction in terms of mainstream media over there or did it kind of slip under the radar? I mean, obviously with football being a growing sport over here and sort of the circles I operate in are always usually people who are somewhat interested in it. So I sort of saw it getting a bit of traction. I'm not sure how that translated to sort of like your, your CNNs or something like that in terms of like your actual mainstream media. I kind of stay away from sort of traditional news like that get most of the news from from twitter or my yeah. mom those sort of things you're right with the sports over here it's everywhere it's all day every day as one sport ends another one comes into season and it is year round and they're relentless with it over here but i mean there was there was bits and pieces being picked up and i'm sure if it had carried on then it would have probably grown a bit more because obviously with the fellas owning you know sort of nfl or nba teams at the same time as owning those english clubs i'm sure it would have started to pick up a bit more traction as it went through yeah and i guess touching on yeah. about soccer or football in america obviously david beckham he's gone over and he's bought into miami fc I've not watched much MLS, if any, if I'm being completely honest. Obviously, Beckham went out to LA Galaxy, what, 12, 13 years ago now, I guess, and uh, tried to bring the uh, reputation of the sport up in America. And now he's followed it up with, with Inter Miami. And I kind of wanted to know what your kind of takes on, I guess, like MLS standard, really, and what needs to happen for US soccer to kind of take that next step. Soccer for women in America is, is really big, isn't it? Mm-hmm. One of the biggest women's sports, but... The men's game still seems to be lagging behind. And you think it's such a global sport. It's it's always strange that the biggest market in the world, in, in the US, I guess, for sports entertainment, just doesn't really get to grasp, but hasn't taken grasp of, of football really yet. Well, I think it's difficult for football, as we just mentioned. There's sport everywhere. There is sport all year round, professional, college, wherever you want it, you can find sport. And I just don't know how the shift will occur where young people want to play it. I think it's starting to happen now as you get kind of into the concussion side of American football and sort of the health risks that are associated with that. But still, I think they're, they're a long, long way behind in terms of attracting young people into playing the sport. 
mm. and then the obviously your next generation that's how it's you know it's going to take years and years of building it up you see with the way they train for even at the the highest levels of college sports it's a lot about building athletes like you'll watch like a high level division one college soccer game and they're all built like fucking brick shit houses every mm. single one of them it's, i'm not saying it's not a focus on the technical side of the game but you see very good players just getting kind of battered out of games because it's just kind of head it, kick it. Whereas obviously back home, the emphasis for the last few years at least has been trying to play football, trying to play sort of the Pep Guardiola way almost. We might even have a bit of overkill of that back home. But whereas over here, I think we need to start transitioning from that. I think the, the franchise system doesn't really help. You know, the, the promotion and relegation side of football promotes competition. Over here, if you call it, they call it tanking in American sports. If you do badly for a season, you get a good player at the end of it. So there's kind of caught in the back of playing badly to try and get the draft pick to to then get a good player to maybe he's the guy. But I mean, Bex is Bex is a legend. What he's done for football worldwide, what he's doing now with Miami. I mean, who their right mind does not want to go and play for that team. Like if I'm a fella now in like League One or the Championship, I'm on the phone to my agent saying, yeah. "What can you sort me out?" Get me out of old, get me over, over somewhere in America. Miami or Macclesfield doesn't seem it's a bit of a no-brainer. I think a last yeah, of Miami exactly. over Macclesfield. Um, yeah, I think only going forward is only going to be a good thing for the sport. It seems to be his kind of mission, doesn't it? Really, uh, he doesn't seem massively interested with European football. Obviously, he's a legend in the UK and probably one of the big. Well, he definitely is one of the biggest, but maybe the biggest, the biggest football star at the moment. Um, like globally recognised. He's definitely transcended just soccer and football, I guess. Imagine a world with non-stop sports action where every single second is extraordinary and where heroes become the greatest of all time. Here goes Verstappen down the inside. Imagine no more. Welcome to the Sports Social Podcast Network, bringing together the very best content and shows from around the sporting world. Where will we take you? Search Sports Social Podcast Network, the home of sports. Brought to you by Boyle Sports. This is betting. 18 plus bet responsibly. BeGambleAware.co.uk But I'll take a pause there and kind of talk a little bit about how you ended up in America and your story, right? So as I kind of touched on earlier with the listeners, me and Harry went to school together, went on football tours together. I spent a lot of time on the sidelines looking at him scoring goals from long throw-ins. But uh, I wanted to kind of explore how you ended up in America, what that kind of motivation and inspiration was to go out in America. Because as I said, you were a really good footballer uh, and you were someone that I thought was going to stay in the game. So kind of interested to know if you had trials over here in the UK and, and talk us through that process of why you've ended up now at at University of Rio Grande? It all happened, I think it happened very quickly. Uh, when you when I think about it now, I've sort of hit that age of 15, 16, and you know, nothing was really happening back home in terms of football. I, I think I was one of those sort of late bloomers. I was always kind of playing various positions. And then I think I eventually settled at like left back and centre back at like 15, 16, and then eventually settled at centre back probably at about 16. So quite late on in the sort of process of where you'd normally sort of settle in a position. I remember playing or trying to go and play for an under-18s team that had been associated with a non-league club. Uh, I think it was Uxbridge FC. I remember showing up and I wasn't the biggest. I was probably big for my age and whatnot. I remember these lads just battering me. And I was just like, I was like 16 trying to play with 18-year-olds. I was like, I'm so far off here. Mm. And 
obviously I carried on playing the school football, was, was fortunate enough to be playing at a decent level of Sunday league football. And then obviously I'm, I'm sure it'll come up a lot more in this conversation, but then uh, Cornelius, who obviously we both went to school with, he was looking at going to America and him sort of being a year above me. And we, we always got on well and he just sort of turned around to me and said, look, you should have a look into it. Obviously coming from Vaughan, academically, we were always in sort of good stead with that, with those sort of things. And he went, look, just, just have a look into it. Here's an agency. Because I think he initially was looking to go out to play and ended up settling on the academic side of things. Yeah. And he was like, here's an agency that I was looking into using. And I just sort of went on. I remember I was in uh, my, my form room in Lower Sixth over in that DT building, filled out the form and didn't really think anything much of it. And a fella from the agency called, was like, oh, do you want to come to a trial game? So I had to go home and broach the subject with my mum and dad. I was like... You know, we've been talking about uni. I was like, I've got something different in my mind. And mm. yeah, they wanted me all the way through it, to be fair. And I think I was sort of caught at a crossroads because I didn't know where I where I wanted to go back home. I think I was just going to take the gap year and just kind of figure out what I wanted to do with, I mean, 18, don't know, no. don't know anything. But yeah, so then from there, the whole process just sort of started un- unraveling in front of me. And before you know it, about three months later, I sort of committed to go to America. And then it was kind of like a... <sighs> wow moment because you don't really know what you've signed up for and next thing you know you, you've signed sort of four years four years of your life and yeah it was it was definitely daunting I mean I was one of the younger boys in our year when my year group anyway I was a July birthday so I was 17 going through all these processes yeah looking back now it's by far the best decision I ever made and you know I sort of wouldn't be here today if I didn't sort of make those decisions when, when okay. I made them. Yeah, and uh, I mean, it's interesting that you touched on our friend Con because I was actually going to bring him up and and ask if he had an influence because I know that, yeah, he obviously went out there with ambitions. Obviously, initially, I think he wanted to do football and, yeah, as you said, kind of settled on that academic route. But I think on my first episode with my cousin Alfie, there was a lot of talk about how he kind of dropped out of academy. He was with he was with Barnet up until a late age and the stat was something around like 98% of players who are scholars at pro clubs at 16 have fallen completely out of the game at 21, which I guess is a benefit of um, the American kind of system. And I wanted to get your kind of thoughts on the differences, right, between UK and, and US, the academic route, but also tinged with the sporting aspect. So what was your kind of pathway for listeners who, may, who might have absolutely no idea about how that works? Mm-hmm. You decided to go out to America, uh, to university. Was it in, was it Kansas? I think you was Yeah, I went, ended up, I went to a university in Kansas initially. And yeah, the process kind of goes, so as mentioned, the agency just then uh, went, went for a trial game and they were like, yeah, like, would you be interested in signing on sort of and looking to do it properly? And then we just ended up making the decision to try it. Uh, I think I paid like 1200 quid. Uh, I didn't pay it. My parents paid it. I ended up paying. So obviously it's quite a big investment at 17. I've turned around to my parents and said, oh, I want to do this, but you've got to pay a lot of money sort of up front to, to get your foot in the sort of doors. And then from there, I went to another trial day where they were all filmed and they were like, the film was getting sent out to college coaches to take the SAT, which was a nightmare. I remember having to get the train into London at like seven o'clock on a Saturday morning and mm. sit in this room for four hours doing tests that was that was no fun but got that and then yeah the recruitment process pretty much just goes like this the film from those trial games that I played in was being sent to coaches and you've got a few emails and various things like that and just then you're on the phone to these coaches in America and sort of similar things sort of just like to this just chatting and then just had one that was seemed keen on me sort of spoke to my parents my parents liked him and then we're just like yeah I kind of fuck it, just gonna to have to go and gonna to have to sign with someone eventually. Right. And we just 
don't really know the difference. Uh, so I just kind of said to him, I was like, look, I'm going to go out there and I'm just going to see, see what happens. I think the, the academic route's really good. I'm kind of looking back now, I'm kind of glad that I didn't try and hang around in England to do like the whole non-league thing. Mm. Maybe it would have clicked eventually and I'd have picked up a bit of money, but I'd have been left sort of with not a lot academically. So at least I know here, and obviously we'll touch on sort of injuries and things that as we move through, but I always have a degree now in my back pocket that yeah. it will get me indoors somewhere. I'll, I'll be able to find my way in just with that piece of paper if, you know, coaching doesn't work out and, and mm-hmm. things like that. So what did you um, what did you study? Because I think that's a big um, point over here. Like like I was saying, my, my cousin did a sports uh, science diploma, but that's the only thing you can do, right, As a when you're um, a scholar for one of these clubs. And that's definitely one of the benefits I see of the US system is, okay, you're pushed towards uh, being an athlete and, and making it in whatever sport you kind of choose, but you always have that fallback of a degree. So what did you do? Business management. I went for the generic. Good man. Straight Same as me, mate. One. There you yeah. go. Look, two business boys there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you can, you can honestly do whatever you want. Like one of the lads on our team now, are, one of our centre-halves is doing nursing and he's mm-hmm. going to go into the nursing after and, you know, there's, there's sports science. You can do your histories. Like it's literally do whatever you want because the whole institution is set up to allow to, to be a student athlete. So you, wherever the classes, the class times are kind of set up so that they don't interfere with practice times. So you're pretty much free to, to study whatever your sort of heart desires in that respect. And as long as you're, you know, intelligent enough to get through the content and you're good at time managing, then, you know, some are harder than others. I've picked one of the, the easier ones. Um, there are, there are, the lad who does nursing he's up to his eyeballs in assignments all the time but that's something he wants to do and you know fair play he still functions on a football pitch and you know we try and help him out as much as we can academically and you know, yeah. sort of give him time and let him know when practice is going to be well ahead of time so that he's able to plan for assignments and things like that but I think I think this that part of the system over here is far and away better than anything they offer back home yeah and I'm not sure not sure why they couldn't do it and obviously full-time football is a lot, but you could put them through maybe put sort of those scholar, not scholars, sort of first-year pros through like a, a slower university course. Maybe it's not a full load of classes, but you just start plodding them slowly so that maybe they leave, have a two-year deal when they get released after that, but they're a year into their university studies or yeah, yeah. something. Or potentially, I, I don't know, maybe it's in that system. But I think that um, that's know. something that... <laughs> Clubs and the PFA obviously need to look at. And I was talking to my friends about this actually after recording and releasing the first episode and it got brought up in conversation and it was like, obviously the PFA is there, but I think there could be an opportunity for a, a professional or an ex-professional with the amount of influence and money. I'm not saying that it's uh, like a handout thing that everyone who's had a trial for a professional football club and falls out of football gets a, a lump sum or gets a helping hand, right? But maybe there's certain parameters in place but someone with real influence, right? And someone who like just springs to mind now is someone like Rio Ferdinand has vast uh, influence. He's been successful in other ventures outside of football and seems like a really switched on guy. I think there could be something where him and a group of footballers come together. Maybe they get support from universities, maybe they get support from government, businesses and kind of get together and kind of set up an organisation where they say, look, if you meet our parameters, maybe you'll let go at, I don't know, 18, 19, and you spent X amount of years in a football club. We've got some some courses and and links with businesses and links with links with government that can kind of push people, young people into the right direction. Cause I think it's very 
it's difficult, right? You dropped out of football at 18, 19, and then you're kind of just, well, sorry, mate, you've missed the boat. There's the big bad world of life uh, thrown at you. And there, there seems to be minimal support. So that was just one idea that kind of um, sprung to mind when I was chatting to friends about it. So if Rio Ferdinand's one of the listeners are talking one for the team, and want some more, <laughs> some more help on that, then uh, he's more than welcome to reach out. That would uh, do me very nicely. But um, just drawing it back a little bit, there's a lot we want to cover today. And you talked about that kind of decision making and your parents being very supportive of when you decided to leave for America. And that's a very brave decision, right? That's uh, you uprooting from your, your family, your friends, everything you know to go and take a, a gamble into something in the unknown. And like you said, you were late in the year, so you would have been 17, 18 making these decisions. And I wanted to draw this back a little bit about to the situation with my dad and losing dad. I remember I found out he had, he had cancer in 2020. It was just after we finished sixth form. So I'd, grad, I'd finished sixth form was doing a gap year uh, and I found out that he had cancer in prostate cancer in, I want to say it was probably February, 2014. This was, and uh, me and my friends, it's me and Shane, who's been on one of the episodes and two other friends had organized to go traveling for two and a half months. And I found this news out that he had cancer six, six, eight weeks before I was meant to go. was kind of reassured by the, by the doctors that everything would be fine when he come back. And thank God he was anyway the doctor said you can go traveling it's like a long stage cancer so he'll be there and everything could be okay if you if you go away so went and done that but obviously that was an anxious time for me because I didn't want to miss out on experiences and I guess the second moment in that is I came back had an amazing time an amazing experience away with friends and traveling is something that I recommend to any young people listening out there if they can do it but I came back over summer and then I wanted to go to university I went down to Brighton University but I was the first person in my family to go to university. And that was a really, obviously, as an 18-year-old boy, 19-year-old boy, finding out that kind of news about dad. And it was really difficult to make that decision to go to uni. I know that he wanted me to go and better myself and and make sure that I pushed on in my career and, and, and did the right thing. But I must say, as a 19-year-old boy, making that decision to leave home, and I, I'll be honest and frank, it was something that I knew it was I was going to miss out on a, on those last moments and last couple of months and I guess year of his life and and that was tough it was a tough decision to make I, in first year of university I, I definitely buried my head in in the sand in terms of going out a lot and uh, probably delving in things I shouldn't have at the time but I wanted to kind of draw that back a little bit to you because I lost my dad in the June of uh, 2015 so about two weeks after I finished my first year at university but I was glad that I did it. I mean, I, I was, I'm gutted that I missed out on those last couple of months, but where I am now, nearly six years later, and the man I've become, I know he'd be very proud of me. So I wanted to kind of ask you what that kind of decision-making like was like for you, uprooting, knowing you were going to miss out on experiences with your dad going to the football, missing all those kind of uh, experiences growing up with, with your family, I guess. So how was that for you? The only way to describe it was at 18, I was shitting myself because everyone had said big decision and it got to a point where I was like, I was all right with it and obviously nervous, whatever. But then to try and convince everyone else I was all right with it, you just act even more all right with it. And it's mm. like, then it's like getting nervous, getting nervous. And then as it, as it starts sort of coming up on the horizon, you sort of get thrown out there. And I remember getting to this airport in America and they were like, oh, a couple of the boys are just going to be there to pick you up. And I'm like, a couple of boys are going to be there to pick me up. I'm like, do I get a phone up? Do I get a, nah, they'll know who you are. Yeah, you're a pale kid looking very lost. In an 
Should have ordered a Fulham yeah, top. <laughs> yeah, you know, I think I might have, you know. <laughs> but yeah, so I was just there and I remember just getting thrown into it. And the thing that probably saved me was that we go straight into pre-season. So you sharp in August and you just straight into two training sessions a day for the first couple of weeks. That makes the transition a lot easier because if you're sort of left to your own devices, that's when you kind of start doubting yourself. You start overthinking and those sort of things. But when you're out there playing football, you're you were right, kind of, yeah. that kind of thing. I remember the first, first week or so, my mum would message me every day, my dad would message me yeah. every day. Like, it, it was intense because I think they were obviously worried about me. They'd never gone through it before. But, I mean, like, like you, you mentioned, your old man being proud of you. I, the one thing I've learned is that parents are, parents are always proud. They want the, they want the best for, mm. want the best for their kids. And I remember you, your mum and me, old man, used to be there on the sideline watching us yeah. play, play football school. And, I mean, it goes back to that. Mm. They're, they're there every step of the way and we're, we're both fortunate to come from sort of families where parents supported us and you know you've got mm. that support place and it, it definitely helps and even to this day my parents support me with everything that everything that I've gone through everywhere I'm going and you know it's never a case of oh are you sure it's just what what, what are you doing how can we help as I've older I've tried to rely on obviously on them less but you know I know they're always there if I need them and uh, they're a massive part of the journey and it was nice as as my sort of playing career rounded out, we made the national tournament in California and they were able to fly out. They managed to get uh, sort of some last minute flights and fly out and watch me play my last two games in America. But then to go from that whole thing, my, my old man coached me in Sunday league footy for, from the age of four, probably all the way through. And then to get to watch my last couple of games in California in just sort of a setting that you could never really picture from sort of playing at, at a park in, in Rice and going all the way through to playing out in California, it was just yeah. I think it, it rounded it out quite nicely. But parents are class. If you've got good, if you've got parents who are supporting you and you know to back you and let you kind of do what you you want to do and encourage it, then you know. You, I mean, I feel very fortunate to to have parents that have you know supported me the way mine have supported me. Yeah, nice. And I think it's you kind of touched on it about how, how important it is to have that support and just drawing back on my mum, she'll probably be very happy to have a shout out on the pod for one and two. She'll probably, if anyone who's listening knows my mum, uh, she used to like a chin wag, just like I do. So uh, so that's no surprise she used to chat to your old man on the sideline. Um, but yeah, so just wanted to go back a little bit to the university kind of route then. So you went to Kansas for the first year um, mm-hmm. and then is it right you moved to university or talk us through those next couple of years with the process? Yeah, so obviously it's a little bit different out here, whereas you're playing sport and, you know, obviously it's it's competitive sport and you're always trying to better yourself. But it's, it's different from the standpoint of you don't get student loans out here that cover university like you do back home. So everyone's on scholarship and your scholarship's basically equivalent to your wages. The bigger your scholarship, the more important you are to the team. Uh, so obviously I went in my first year and a lot of first year guys have it where you, you pay a decent chunk of money in the hope of proving yourself to then earn better scholarships, reduce your out-of-pocket costs. Mm-hmm. So I went out there, had a really, really good first year, uh, a lot better than I kind of expected, kind of just got thrown in at the deep end and somehow managed to keep my head above water for, for the duration. And then sort of by the end of the year, I sort of figured out how the American system worked. I was a bit naive when I went over, obviously not knowing, and I was sort of learning as I went throughout and I was sort of hearing sort of other, other things, you know, about what other players were paying and, you know, scholarships and whatnot. And I was like, oh, right, well, that's decent. I'm going to go in and ask for ask for one of them. And I thought off the bat, a good year, 
we were obviously in college sports, graduating players is a big thing. Obviously, every year you have five or six fellas graduating and that's then done. You have to bring in new boys. Uh, you're only allowed to play four years of college sports. Um, so it's not like you can just hang around forever. So we had a lot of boys graduating. I went into my coach and went, got I had a good year. Money's obviously an issue everywhere. Can I get a like, better scholarship? And he went, no, you're staying on the same money that you were last year. And I went, well, I'm not. So mm. <laughs> and, um leaving basically I uh, had to ask for what's called my release it's just a bit of paper that the school have to sign to make you eligible to play at your next school so it was a bit of a process to go through there and there was sort of things and steps I had to go through to get that sorted ended up thankfully I had a good enough year that I could put together enough clips for a coach to then there was a coach in a school in Iowa an English fella said yeah I'll take you and it was a big moment for me because it was the the first sort of full scholarship I got so it went from my parents paying out of pocket to them not having to pay anything. And I remember being able to tell my mum, like, you don't need to pay really anything. Obviously, I had a little bit of money to support me on the side and whatnot, but that chunk of the cost is gone. Mm. And it was, it was really good for me. And then as, as with the, all things, the journey was never as smooth as it seemed with the system being the way it is out here. Athletic departments cost a lot of money. You know, they put a lot of investment into facilities, into coaches, into scholarship money and that sort of thing. So a week before I'm transferring to this new school, they announced they're closing their athletic department at the end of that year. Oh, wow. So it's too in the game at this point to try and find something else. So I remember saying to my mum, I was like, at this point I was, I was confident enough in my own ability. I remember saying to my mum, I'm like, well, I'll go there. They're a good school. I'll play well. And it will set me up for something down the line. And it all, and she was like, oh, fair enough. And it was all going fine until the third game of the season when I've gone to shield the ball out for a throw in, planted my foot, pop, ACL. Oh, God. And I'm just sat there. I just remember being on this turf. We were in Nebraska. Horrible, horrible place. I'm just lying down on this turf, just in agony. And I'm just thinking, oh, this, I'll, I'll fuck this here. Like, properly, yeah. properly fuck. And then, yeah, it was, it was, again, just 19 years old at this point. I had to go through that whole process of, you know, just trying to figure out what to do, how does it work, surgery, rehab. And I remember finding out the news that it was torn on my sister's 16th birthday. And I'm not quite sure she's forgiven me yet because I remember calling the parents. I think they were out at, a, out at dinner for her birthday. And I was just like, yeah, it's done. And my mum wanted to fly out. She was like, oh, I'll come look after you after the surgery. I'm like, mum, you can't do that. If you want to spend a grand on flights, you might as well just give me 500 quid and I'll go somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, and then that just kind of opened up the the doors for for surgery and for rehab. And I was fortunate enough at the time that I was living with lads who I got on really well with, like top class lads. The, the gaffer I had at the time was first class with me, you know, just sort of kept me involved because in that year he was losing his job. It wasn't just us moving schools. This this fella was losing his job. So he had no affiliation to me, really. I was my use to him was done the minute my knee folded because I was never going to play another game for that school. I wasn't going to recover in time. So he was first class with me, sort of the, the athletic trainers, we call them sort of physios back home. We had a, we had a, we had a really good one. Her name was Lisa and she was, she was class with me as well. And it is tough as you go through that rehab process. You know, you talk about mental health and I've never been a person to really struggle that much. And the majority of it was okay. But it's just, you would just have days where you go in and I remember trying to do a calf raise. I just couldn't do a calf raise. I'm like 19 years old. I'm a relatively fit fella, but your leg just zaps away to, to nothing. And, yeah. you know, you, you have days where I just remember going home, 
I'd go to class in the morning, I'd go to rehab, go to class in the morning, go to rehab again, and then go home. And it'd be like six o'clock. And I just remember sitting down one day at like a dinner table and just be like, fuck this. I was like, on the phone to my mom, I was just in a proper hole. Yeah. And like the lads I heard the conversation and they were like, you're like, you're all right, mate, like blah 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 blah. I think we ended up just going out and having a few beers or whatnot. And yeah, yeah. Injury's tough, rehab's tough. I wouldn't wish it, I wouldn't wish it on anyone because Obviously, you go across the world to play football and if you can't play it, you kind of just feel a bit useless. I've never experienced an, an injury, thankfully. And the impact of like sports and fitness for me, as I've talked about on previous shows, is become more apparent and like I've become more aware of it since losing dad because now like training is something that gives me structure routine and kind of meaning I guess and the sports aspect in terms of playing sports and watching sports offers me community and kind of like support system right so I guess in in one sense you were lucky that you had good friends around you but I can still imagine that being like an incredibly incredibly tough period to deal with at such a young age but it's important that you kind of you had those support systems around you because it's quite difficult with injuries I imagine because for me doing exercise and being busy and and playing sport it releases all those endorphins and makes you feel good right so when you're injured and you can't do what can help make you uh, make you feel better it's 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 like a a double whammy I guess and yeah I, I remember speaking to Shane obviously on the pod a couple of weeks ago and he's physio for Millwall under 18s at the moment and I think those relationships like you just touched on with Lisa, your uh, athletic trainer or physio, you mentioned her. They, I imagine they become a little bit of a confidant, right? They become like someone who you can kind of have a real frank and honest discussion with and, and help you through those tough times. Let me tell you about Sky TV and broadband. You get the best of Sky TV. That's all the shows everyone's talking about, like Mayor of Easttown and Your Honor. Plus, Sky's best ever Wi-Fi with lightning fast speeds all around your home. So fill your home with our award-winning Sky TV and ultra-fast broadband from €55 a month for 12 months. Search Sky 55. Offer ends today. New Sky customers only. Availability subject to location. TV and broadband sold separately. Minimum terms and further terms apply. For more info, see sky.ie forward slash speeds. So you had this, you've had the ACL, you rehabbed for nine months. Imagine those were some pretty dark days and, and tough days. What was the next step? What happened after? Well, as I mentioned with, the, with this college closing, I had the, the rehab to handle, but I also had to find another college on the back end of it. And I'd gone from, like I said, paying money my first year to not paying money my second year. Mm. And I was kind of hope that I could find somewhere that would just take a chance on me. And that's where sort of the coach I had came into it because he'd seen me through my preseason and through the first couple of games. And he sort of stuck his neck on the line with me for another coach. Uh, it was another English fella, funnily enough. Uh, they're, they're sort of littered all over the, this country. And I managed to find a few of them. But yeah, I got on the phone with him and he was just like, look, we're, we'll take we'll take a chance. And you obviously get get yourself fit, come in sort of ready, ready to roll. And so that took me out to Ohio. Again, I was fortunate enough to land at a very good programme, a lot of very, very good players. And it, that was tough because I've, I've gone off the back of nine months not playing. And obviously you go home to England in the summer and there's no football going on anyway. So it's tough to keep all around. And I remember bringing up my old man again, and he was probably part of 50 at this point. He just used to come in from work and we just go to the park and boot a ball around. And that was tough because you don't realise how bad you get at football when you don't play for nine months. Yeah, and I'm poor, poor fellas just worked eight hours on the train tracks for network rail, and he's changed ch- my shanks around <laughs> around the park. Poor, poor fella was getting his steps in, and then I've I've gone back out. So then August rolls around, and I'm 
back out to America for another preseason, knowing in the back of my head that I'm nowhere near, I'm physically ready, but I'm nowhere near good enough at football at this point. I need to really try and get good while being in preseason. And it was, was the injury. Was the injury in the back of your head? Like when you were playing after you'd rehabbed and you'd done it. You know, you hear sometimes after a long layoff for for players, they kind of. It's the psychological aspect as well, right? They don't want to put their knee maybe 100% or their hamstring at 100% because of fear of that. Did you did you experience any of that? Or yeah, I mean, it wasn't it wasn't the cutting and turning for me. I, I was the way I injured it. The ball the ball was rolling out of play. I was shielding it, and obviously, a guys just like give you a little nudge, little nudge. Ball's rolled out. I've kind of loosened up. He gave me a little nudge, and then as my foot's gone, then it's planted, and that was the one. So it wasn't like a cutting or a turning injury. Yeah. So I didn't have any with sort of changing direction or anything like that it was just those sort of shoulders 50 50s and it was like when I had to, it would be on my left shoulder so when I had to plant my right foot to try and drive into someone and those first few you're doing it and you're just like oh fingers crossed hold your breath yeah all oh, right I'm all right okay thank thank god for that okay and then the next one yeah a little bit and I think it probably took took a while for you to feel just completely easy with throwing your body into things Obviously, as a defender in football, you, you end up in situations where you have to throw your body around a bit. <laughs> it was never too much for a fan of that part. You've got to do it at the end of the day, didn't you? And then, yeah, and thankfully, the, the sort of football came back to me. Uh, my brain managed to figure out how to work my feet again. And it kind of got back and I was able to play that year and, and did well. But it was, I was again, it comes down to the coach because those first two weeks of pre-season, I was useless. For some reason, I couldn't hit a pass. I'd lost the power I don't know if I'd rehab properly or I'd missed some things but I just didn't have the power in my leg for a week or two to play a pass over fucking 15 yards but he stuck with me and you know I was fortunate enough that he gave me and carried on giving me the opportunity that he did whether it was because I was on a big scholarship and he'd invested money in me like we had to see if it would work but you know it took a while for me to find my feet after that injury and oh yeah, I'm very fortunate that he sort of stuck with me to to allow me to get to that point to where I wasn't a fucking liability because I know for a fact I was a couple of weeks. So that was what end of year three or end of year four there? The return from the ACL was the beginning of year three. Beginning of year three, so, and then you've done another season there. You said it was University of North Western Northwestern Ohio. Ohio. Told me. Yeah, yeah, and that was how would you describe the kind of standard? Uh, you said it was a good standard. Anything like, was it a lot better than anything you'd played over here in the UK? Yeah, massively. Because you, you get in, you're getting boys that have all played to a really, like a bit of a ridiculous level back home. With the, with the organisation I play in, in America, it's called the NAIA. So it's under this umbrella, I think it's 300 colleges. You have the NCAA and the NAIA, the two separate entities. Mm-hmm. The NCAA schools typically have more money for facilities and things like that. NAIA schools are typically smaller schools in more rural areas, little, you know, facilities aren't as glitz and glam, that sort of mm. thing. The best thing with the NAIA is that eligibility rules are a bit looser. So if you've maybe had a year professionally in your home country and you can get your name taken off a website, you can get eligible for this NAIA where the NCAA will look into it and will find out that you've played and you'll, you'll be ineligible to play, to play out there. I mean, mm. if you look through, if you look through our team right now, our goalkeeper was with Real Madrid till he was 16. And he's there telling us stories about Hakimi and his youth team and like getting in and in jacuzzis with Ancelotti and that, the training <laughs> ground. <laughs> and like, yeah, it's, it's craziness. Uh, nice. Centre half was at Sao Paulo. And you see that like, every 
few months, he'll post Facebook memories and it's him marking Pato in training. The, le- the level of some of those out here is, is silly and they've all, they've all kind of, you know, everyone at this level is flawed in some way. They, they weren't quite good enough to make it in their own country. But the level of football is, yeah, it's very, it's very, very good. And it's, you know, now shifting to the coaching side of things, getting to watch it from the sidelines, you fully appreciate just how good these boys are at football. And, yeah. you know, it's, it, was, it was tough coming over to America because everyone kind of, I think, belittles it a little bit. They kind of mm-hmm. think, oh, how good can it be? There's more, I play against more foreigners over here than you can ever imagine. Like, yeah. there's, there's, it's from all over the world playing at colleges in America and the level of the NAIA is on an upward trajectory and it always will be because there's always boys who can't quite make it back home or, you know, maybe they're a bit too short, maybe they haven't hit their growth spurt, a bit of a late bloomer. Mm-hmm. And they come into an environment like this where they're, they're playing every day, uh, getting getting decent level, well, I hope decent level coaching. Yeah. Um, and they're, uh, they're, they're able to sort of just flourish and stay in an environment for four years and you see the development and, you know, it's yeah, the, the standard's very good and it's continuing to improve as well. And I think like when you were saying about how bad you were after nine months off, if you'd seen some of my performances for the MK Dunks after after four months uh, in lockdown, uh, it was a it was a couple of horrendous touches to say the least. But um but I guess it works the other way, like you're saying, when you actually have time to dedicate in your training every day and you're surrounded by uh, individuals who are gonna push you like really good athletes and coaches that are going to push you and you have the facilities and that time and mindset, you're only going to improve. So I want to kind of draw things kind of towards an end now, but you were talking about, so you've done that. You had your third year where you'd, you'd come back from your ACL. Did you play another yeah. season after that before coaching? Tell us that kind of last stage of your playing career into, and that transition into coaching really. Well, so I played the year, that year I played um, the coach. I said it was really good to me. Ended up leaving for a job down in Florida. Can't blame the fella. I, no. I pick Florida every single day of the week. Then a new fella come in. I was still playing. You know, I was still still playing well, but we just didn't. I just didn't agree with him. Just wasn't not for me. And in an environment like this, you have to get on with your coach. You have to like the fella. If you're going to go out there and graft yourself and run run your bollocks into the ground every day, you've got to like the bloke. Didn't like him, weren't having him at all. So I went, right, you know, things happened, whatever. My knee was falling to pieces. And it was at that point where I kind of just fell out of love with football, kind of. I was sort of teetering on the edge of doing it every day and I just weren't enjoying it. My knee was ruined. I didn't feel like he cared, to to be honest. I didn't feel like there was sort of an appreciation. I was playing every game with a big, like, Robocop knee brace on and... Battering painkillers just to try and get through a game, and I, I just didn't feel like anyone—he particularly was bothered or gave a fuck what I was putting myself through to try and make his team better. So at the end of the day, the wins and losses don't go on my record; they go on his record as a coach. I kind of came to an end, and I was umming and ahhing about whether to play on or not, or finish my degree online and go home. I just stumbled across Rio Grande, where I'm at now. Yeah, just took a chance on me. Said, "Look, I need a centre back. You've got one year left to play. You, fan- you fancy it?" And I eventually made the decision to go and do it. That year went well. Loved it. The boys were first class. Gaffer was class. Whole system was just unreal. Loved football again. And then there's a there's a position in America that's quite popular. It's called a graduate assistant. So okay. school assistant coaches where they'll pay, rather than paying them a wage, they'll pay for their masters. Mm. So I had this in the back of my mind. Obviously, being a centre-back, I always thought I was quite mature and had like a decent understanding of the game. Mm. It, was, it was something that me 
Um, and then, yeah, as I got through to the end of my last year of playing, I just went and spoke to the, the coach here and was like, Do you, can you help sort of set me up with something? And he made a few phone calls. I sent a few emails out and then I ended up working with women's, women's football in Kansas at the same school, different, obviously different uh, gender and different coaches. Mm. I went back there for a year. And that's kind of how it happened. It's not, it wasn't any sort of big like coaching licenses or anything. It's just kind of thrown in at the deep end and you're a coach now and you just mm. kind of figure it out. I mean, I spend a lot of time on YouTube watching sessions, watching session plans. You know, there's a lot of good content out there online these days. And that's kind of where the bulk of my learning gets done. And I enjoy it. You know, it's, mm. it's something you can get your teeth into. It's something that you can try and figure out. You know, you look at things, how can I make them better? Will it work? I've done so many sessions that you put it on and within three minutes, you're like, oh, this is shit. Brilliant on YouTube, but you put it into effect and for whatever reason, whether you've got something wrong yourself or it just don't work for the players and you know you've made a twat of it. Mm. Um, but then, yeah, the, the end of that year, obviously COVID hit after my first year, which was a strange situation. But then uh, a position opened up back at the school I graduated from, Rio Grande, and the coach gave me a call and was like, do you fancy coming back? And it was a unique opportunity from the standpoint of I was a year removed from the programme, which I think helped me. I still knew a lot of the faces within it, played with a lot of the boys and was still close enough, sort of in age to them, where I thought I could come back and, you know, help and kind of contribute to, to what was being built here, what, what is here. And, you know, women's football was enjoyable, but I don't think there's anything quite like being involved in the men's game. Um, it's not to say I won't, you know, venture back over to the women's game at some point, but I'm happy with where I'm at now. You know, the environment's good. And that's that's what sport does for you, really, isn't it? It's just being around lads, being around fellas who just want to have a laugh, want to play football. You know, no one's taking things like too seriously off the pitch. On the pitch, they they go to war and they batter each other and the standards and the expectations are pretty high. But away from it, we you're just laughing. I don't consider it working. I come in the office, you're just having a, just honestly, you just laugh all day. Lads just taking the piss out of each other. Just want, like, go through, do a bit of recruiting, send some emails. Yeah, it's a, it's a decent life and one that I'm hoping I can sort of extend into an actual career. Yeah, and uh, like, that's great to hear because a couple of points I wanted to pick up on there from what you were talking about. I guess first thing I've got to say is I've absolutely butchered Rio Grande. Uh, it's called right. How do you pronounce it? <laughs> Mate, you can go either way. To be fair, we get still gets but we, we go we go Rio Grande over here. I think, but I was a I was a Rio Grande member until I got here. All right, okay, all right. Well, I'm not going to get too much sick then. But I thought that might have been uh, uh, that year of Spanish that I did it about 15, uh, <laughs> trying to shine through there over a decade later. But um, we're coming towards the end of the pod now. But I'm sure we could have been chatting for hours really on this. But I guess. You're a perfect sort of guest for this uh, show, really, because you've had adversity in something that you love, right? You've had your injuries, you've had those tough decisions, you've had those mental pressures of picking up and uprooting yourself and, and going away from your family who you've loved very much and your friends and, and, and taking a gamble, taking yourself out of a comfort zone and going over there. And okay, the, the dream that you had at 17, 18 of becoming a professional footballer hasn't materialized, right? But you've now made it out at, what, you're 24 now, 25? Yeah, 24 now, 25 in July. There you go. And you're doing something like you just said that you don't really see it as work and you don't feel it as work because it's something that you enjoy and you're close to the sport. And I said that at the start of the show that you always struck me as someone who would stay in football. And it's great to kind of see how your development and your kind of journey has led you along that path, I guess. And I know you you mentioned to me off air about 
you were diagnosed with onset uh, early onset arthritis. And I want to just kind of finish on this point and then come on to our final section. But just tell me how that was to kind of find out uh, and, and how you kind of manage that. Because my mum, my mum's got rheumatoid arthritis. I know the pain she kind of is in daily. It's not something that is easy to live with. And it's not nice to see, especially my mum is now, she's into her 60s now. And it's, it's challenging to see how how much of an impact it can have on on someone's life. So tell us a little bit about how you found out and, and how that was to deal with, really. It was at the end of the, would have been my fourth year of, third year of playing, fourth year in America. And that the season where I was playing with the big Robocop knee brace. And I knew, I knew my meniscus was torn at the start of the year, but I was just playing sort of through it. It was, wasn't great, but I could, could function. I remember going in to see the doctor at the MRI, went back to get the results and, I'm not sure if you've seen an MRI scan of the knee, but it's two sort of two joints that are meant to be nice and smooth. And um, one of mine was smooth and the other one looked like it had bits of spaghetti hanging off it. He's, he said, you know, I wouldn't be concerned if you were, you know, around 60 or 70, but seeing as you're 21, mm. you've probably got a couple of issues here. And I was just like, oh, fuck. Yeah. It's kind of to be there because you. I, I'm not going to lie, I felt quite invincible. And obviously my knee was down, but I was, I was able to play and, I was able to get through a lot of things. I built up quite a high pain tolerance, quite a nice relationship with ibuprofen and paracetamol. But yeah, it was it was tough. And that was right around the time where I was like, I'm, I think I'm just going to quit because it's just what what's the point? You know, it gets, obviously I love football and I love playing it, but at that point I wasn't enjoying playing and mm. just told your knees folded at 21. I was just like, I might jack it in almost and... Mm took a few months for me just to kind of get my head back together. And I was in the process of, I knew I was going to leave that college. And it was just whether I finished my degree online or went to another school to play. And coaches were emailing me like, oh, what do you want to do? And I'm like, I'm not that arsed. I wasn't bothered with it. It kind of knocked me a bit. But it's all right now. I mean, if, if the weather gets cold outside, my knee gets a bit stiff. Go If I do sort of certain exercises in the gym and go a little bit too hard, then... You know, get stiffens up a little bit if I if I try and run on a treadmill. Well, I say try. I haven't ran in about a year, but I know if I try and run on a treadmill, I'll feel it the next day. But it's all right, really. Most of the time, I've got. It's not like I'm sat here sort of crippling mm. or anything like that. It it hurts some days, and I'm sure there's a knee replacement in my future somewhere. But as of right now, I still go to the gym, still function, still. Mm jog around on the footy pitch, knock a ball around with the boys from time to time before training and that. So I've got no complaints. I've got no real regrets really because everything I did on, on my journey throughout, even before America, in America, up to this point has led me led me here and I'm able to sort of sit back and look look on it all and you know understand the role that every stop I made along the way played into the overall goal. I mean, it was quite an entrepreneur route that I went and even boys over here they hear what I did and they're like well how how did you manage to do that and mm. maybe it would have been easier staying in one place four years would have definitely been easier without the knee injuries but it kind of all contributed to where I am now at 24 and I feel quite mature I feel like I've seen a lot of things mm. been involved in a lot of college programs and I think it's given me a confidence level and sort of just an assurance that anything that pops up I'm all right with dealing with there's mm. not a lot that can really phase me Obviously, you know, things still catch me out and I don't know everything, but there's not a situation that can really arise on a day-to-day basis where I'm like, oh, I'm out of my depth here because mm. I've been out of my depth before. And again, like I said, just managed to keep my head above water. 
I think it's taught me a lot of valuable skills that will help me if I can make this into a career or if I end up doing something else. I've learned a lot of valuable things through the sport and through the things that I've had to, to go through to get where I am now. Yeah, and you know, I think that's really a nice summary because like you're talking about going through those hardships and kind of making you a bit more steely, I guess, and a bit more, I guess, clued up and wised up and, and things don't really stir you as much. I, I draw it back and I've spoken about it on previous pods with Dad and I bring it back because this podcast is is about my journey as well as my guests and losing dad as tough as it was. Like I work in a in a fast paced industry. I'm in advertising sales and there's times when some things happen with that and you're like, fucking hell, it, you get really pissed off and it's a fast paced environment and things can try and ruffle you. But I always have that kind of that experience with dad as tough as it was at the time. It was it was like a, I've said it on previous podcasts with Shane and, and my cousin that it was like my defining moment. And it was because it just it just anchors me. It's like, if anything, any stress kind of comes my way, obviously in the short term, sometimes it can be a bit stressful, but when I sit back, take a bit of time to reflect and, and take stock. And I've always got that to fall back on because that was harder than anything else that life is going to throw at me or has thrown at me to this point. So I think, like you said, having those kind of difficult experiences and coming through them and overcoming that hardship, I think is is probably one of the most important things in life, really. So I'm glad to hear that your journey is settled now. You're happy where you are. And you see yourself kind of in America, kind of for the foreseeable? Yeah, mate. I mean, if I can, it's obviously becomes a visa game at some point. Obviously, you need fellas to, to want to employ you and you know, sort you out with employment visas and things like that. I don't think I'll venture back to England anytime soon, whether that be a lot of boys over here kind of go the Australia, New Zealand route and do that for a couple of years. I think even after that, I'd have a, I'd have a go at like Canada or something like that. There's just, obviously home is home and I'm always grateful for what home, home brings. And every time I go home, it's great, but I just don't want to, the, the rat race. It's like, I just not, it's not for me. And like I said, I don't feel like I've yet in my life, which is crazy to think you're 24 and I don't feel like I've ever had a real job because they've always been in and around sport. Mm. And I can carry on doing things in this field or can carry on sort of just, just going out and seeing things. Because at the end of the day, you know, without getting too philosophical, you don't have all that long, do you, really? Mm. And I know like my parents, they would always encourage me to go and do things. And they always, they, they, even them now at the age they are, they want to go and see new places. And while I'm young enough to do it and I've got no real ties or attachments to anywhere, uh, I feel like there's a sense of freedom in that and I can go and if I, if America doesn't work out, I can go to Australia for a couple of years. And you know, if, it if that doesn't work out, then I can have a look at Canada for a couple of years. You know, something eventually will work out. Like I said, and I have a bit of paper behind me now that says I've got a degree and a couple of weeks I'll have a second degree. So it's all there for me if I want it. Obviously college coaching would be the dream because this is a, it's a great gig. The fair I work for now has been doing this 34 years, I think. It's just a great job. You come to the office, you do a bit of recruiting, you're chatting with the lads, obviously make sure they're taken care of academically and everything's all right with them. You go down to training, you cut the grass on the pitch, you answer a few phone calls. It's it's a good gig. It's better than what my old man has to do, trawling up and down the railway lines for Network Rail. So mm. it all, all kind of puts things into perspective, doesn't it? So just try and do something that you enjoy and that way you sort of, life comes a little easier for you, I suppose, and mm-hmm. makes a get out of bed on those cold winter mornings yeah well as i said i'm glad to hear that your journey's kind of worked out for you and if you're over in uh, london anytime i mean let the mk donks if we have a short <laughs> man up 
Then you fancy it, fancy a Thursday night game under the lights in Shoreditch, then uh, then I know I'll be I'll be hitting you up because as I said, yeah, you was a really really good footballer and one of the best I've probably the best I've played with in my as I said humble career. But just to kind of finish up now, I've been doing it every episode. The section how sports saved my life, and I kind of set you a little bit of a task this week. You hadn't seen the film World War Z. I watched it recently, uh, and these hypothetical life or death scenarios that I've been coming up with. They're getting more and more difficult, so I'm quite looking forward to the se- end of season one now because they are quite difficult to come up with. But if you haven't seen the film World War Z, to all the listeners, you need to go and look at a scene on YouTube where they're basically stuck in Jerusalem. There's loads of zombies everywhere. They're getting overrun, and Brad Pitt manages to make it out alive. But I'm putting Harry Robinson in, in his shoes. That's a very nice compliment I've just given him there as well. And, uh, <laughs> uh, I'll have to come on here more often if you're throwing them things around. I know, I know. honestly, I there you go. I'm getting a bit of a too much of a reputation on here, but yeah. So Harry Robinson, you're in Jerusalem in World War Z. You've got to take one sports person with you to help you get out, avoid all the zombies. Who are you taking? Well, I was watching a UFC a couple of weeks ago, and I saw the man Francis Ngannou do awful, awful things to what I thought was a, quite a granite fella in that uh, yeah. Steve Pichich. So uh, but I'm going to have to go and batter zombies with a fella who's going to have to be unarmed. Give me that man. Now I'm going to hide right behind him and just pray that he swings for the fences. And yeah. uh, and if he doesn't, then I'm, I'm bang in trouble because I, I can't run anymore. So yeah. <laughs> strapping us both out of there or we're both finished. Yeah. Uh, if to go down in a fight with one man, it would be that big, scary bastard. That's a, that's a great answer. And uh, I know that, uh, obviously, he's got a, uh, an amazing story. Nice. That might be a bit of a stretch for getting UFC everywhere champion <laughs> of the world on here. Uh, maybe that's one for season two. But, um, yeah, great answer. And uh, and uh, like I said, like I'm really pleased for you how it's worked out in the last couple of years. And it's been good catching up, mate. It's been far too long. And yeah. I'm definitely keen to kind of keep conversations kind of open and, and stuff like that. So going forward. So... Best of luck with like the rest of the season and kind of getting your masters all sorted, I guess. Well, I appreciate that, mate. Yeah, it's good that you finally got yourself on a podcast because you had had a gift of the gab for a few years. Yeah. So I always thought you'd get yourself into some sort of talking. Obviously, you do the marketing stuff, which I think is yeah. quite fitting. Getting your voice out there, and as you grow into it, you've got to get the big man con on for a pod, though, didn't you? Surely, a collaboration, or has he gone too massive time for you now? I don't know, mate. I think he, he might he might just uh, he might swing it on me. He's got his own podcast. I'm waiting for an invite on his first before I invite, <laughs> I invite him on mine. So I'll probably be a long time waiting. But but yeah, top stuff, Harry, mate. And uh, and yeah, all the best with uh, the rest of the season. Appreciate that, mate. Thank you very much. shows or join the team at sport-social.co.uk This podcast is brought to you by Boyle Sports. Build your own bet and choose your own special offer with Bet Builder on the Boyle Sports betting app. Boyle Sports. This is betting. 18 plus bet responsibly. BeGambleAware.co.uk This podcast is brought to you by Boyle Sports. 
Download the Boyle Sports betting app now for the best odds on offer for this summer's Euros. Boyle Sports. This is betting. Terms and conditions apply. 18 plus bet responsibly. BeGambleAware.co.uk Sports Social Podcast Network. Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers.